Welcome to the Story Forest, original tales for curious and adventurous children. George and Clara have an adventure in the starlight and discover two dramatic secrets. Will George be able to stop Clara from disappearing? Written by Anna Roberts and read by her favourite storyteller in the world, her mother, Pam McNaughton. Trapped in the Tower George woke feeling sad for Clara. He had spent his half-term with Mum at a ruined castle, only when he went to sleep at night, he woke up in the past, hundreds of years ago, helping a girl called Clara, who he knew from his mum, was going to mysteriously disappear. Mum tried her best to cheer him up over breakfast, but as he couldn't really speak about all that was happening, there wasn't much he could do. She offered to do something else rather than go to the castle that day, but he quickly assured her that he wanted to do nothing more. George was even more determined than ever to know the castle inside and out. Even the stones were familiar by now, but when Mum wasn't looking, he quickly climbed up a wall and, keeping out of sight, explored the higher and more dangerous parts of the castle ruins so that he knew them too. When he heard her calling him for lunch, he dropped down, feeling like he couldn't have possibly known the castle better by now. In the afternoon, he wandered the coastline again, remembering all the adventures that he had had with Clara and where they had been. What was going to happen to her? Would her uncle just make her disappear? like he had his wife, wouldn't someone notice? George was distracted all day and was glad when he finally managed to go up to his room and get into bed where he tossed and turned and finally fell asleep. When he woke, he was on cold stone floor. He sat up and saw that he was in a small circular room and a girl was looking out the window. Clara, he said, and she turned around. Her face was pinched, pale and frightened. It shocked George and he wildly wished she was crying like normal. What is it? George, she said, and she ran across and flung her arms around him. He hugged her back but was desperate to know what was going wrong. Why do you need me, Clara? What has Griffin done this time? Oh, I'm trapped in the tower. He closed the door beneath me. I absolutely have to get out of the tower so I can go to a very important banquet later on. Otherwise, my uncle will be furious. But that's not all. She stepped away from him and picked up something from the floor. It was her wishing box with the rubies set into the lid. She had told George that each time he had travelled into the past, she had wished upon this box. Look at the rubies, she said, and he did. There were eight of them. Look at these. She pointed out five of them, and now he looked closely. They looked darker than the others. They were all the same before. It must be the wishes. Each time I make a wish, one of them fades, and so... George took a sharp intake of breath, then completed her sentence. 
So there are only three wishes left. Neither of them said anything for a few moments. George found himself wondering if this situation had been as bad as all that, whether she should have saved the wish. I saw it change colour, she said in a low voice. When I made the wish, the stone turned darker red. I hadn't noticed before. George stared at the wishing box. Three more wishes. Three more visits to the pass. Three more times to try to save Clara. He sighed. She didn't even know how serious this was and he wasn't about to tell her. Right, George said, trying to sound confident and cheerful. I suppose we had better get you out of here. He started to inspect the room. We're up the tallest tower, Clara said, watching him. Griffin said there was an injured bird up here or I wouldn't have come. But then I got up here and he closed the door behind him and now I can't get through. George went to the door, which was set down into stairs. He pushed and shoved and tried to work at the lock with the things he could find around, but nothing seemed to work. The room had a bed in, covered in old bedding. It was dusty and obviously not much in use. There were a few other odds and ends up here too. A broken spinning wheel, mismatching chairs, a few crates. What's this feast then? George asked, still looking around but trying to distract Clara. Oh, it's a very important one she said, rubbing her hands together in the cold. Lord Clarthen has invited all his neighbouring important people. He's trying to persuade everyone that he is still rich, so that they might help him or something. He's been nervous about it and planning for weeks, and he's very insistent that I'm there. She frowned. I don't know why Griffin would lock me up here. Surely he doesn't actually want his father that upset. Maybe he means to release you, George said, now looking out the window and placing himself in his mind, remembering the layout of the castle from above. He found himself mapping it out mentally. He found himself starting to come up with a plan. Even if he does, I can't risk it, Clara said primly. My uncle might not feed me for a week or worse. I just have to get out of this tower. George looked across at her. Well, I do have a plan, but I'm not sure you're going to like it. He turned back into the room and went over to the pile of bedding and started to have a look. It was perfect. He picked up as much as he could carry, then walked over to the window. You bring the rest, Clara, he said then turned to the window, looked outside where the sky was dark with firelight and torches shining in various places below and the moon and the stars shining above. Clara brought the bedding and he looked carefully again out of the window. It was a risk. There was a bit of a turn, but it was their best chance. He threw the bedding out of the window, aiming for a flattish roof a little to the side. Clara gasped and he grinned at her. It's all right, he said. We're going to be fine. Give me that. He threw the rest of the bedding so that they would at least have a soft landing. Then he climbed up onto the windowsill. Clara was looking very uncertain. 
we'll have to go right over to the side of the ledge, then jump. It's an easy jump, really. You just have to pretend it's not so high up. George sounded a lot more confident than he felt. He had seen the drop if he missed the roof. It really, really wasn't something that he wanted to think about. I'll go first, then you can follow. It's going to be fine. Then we can find a way to climb down. He looked across at her and smiled. After a few beats, she gave him a little smile back. If you say so, George. Right, George took a deep breath. Let's go. He edged along to the side of the window and Clara came closer to watch. George knew he couldn't seem to be scared or Clara might chicken out. Here I go, he said, and not letting himself think about it, he flung himself into the darkness. He was falling, falling, and then he landed right on the roof, right on the pile of bedding. He let out a long sigh, then called out, It works! Your turn, Clara! He watched as she climbed up onto the ledge and then could see only her silhouette against the light coming from the candle in the room. Go on, Clara, he called as loud as he could. It's easy. You can do it. He was certain she could make it, but she wasn't moving or saying anything. Come on, Clara. He tried to be gentle. It's an adventure and you'll definitely make it. And I'm right here. There was another pause and then letting out a long, loud shriek, Clara flung herself into the air towards the roof. She made it, but she was terrified and started to slide down the roof. George leant forwards and grabbed her arms and she stopped and they were safe. Clara's body started shaking and for a moment George's heart sank, sure she was going to cry again. But then the sound hit his ears and she was laughing hysterically, loudly, and she couldn't stop. She pulled her arms out of his, but she couldn't sit up. And soon George was laughing too. And he lay back and looked up at the stars and laughed. When they finally stopped, George sat up. What are we going to do with these? Clara said, holding up the bedding. George shrugged, then looked around. There was a wide window across a deep drop across from them. Bet you can't throw them in there, he said. Clara stared at him for a second, then tilted her head so that her nose stuck up in the air, grabbed a blanket, rolled it into a ball and tossed it with all her might. It went in. She looked pleased. Your turn! George laughed, then did the same, but his hit the top of the window frame and fell down below. They peered into the darkness. What's down there? George said, trying to work it out. I think it's the pigs, Clara said, and then they were laughing again. They threw the rest of the bedding across, getting most of it in. Then George got his bearings and led the way, climbing across the rooftops. With the stars above and the firelight and soft sounds from the castle below, it was magical. They walked along a straight wall. 
George was looking for somewhere where they would be able to climb into a window, but it was harder than it seemed. They were heading towards the back of the castle, where things were more of a jumble, and a roof might allow them to climb in a window. I never want to walk in a corridor again, Clara announced, standing on one foot and stretching out the other behind her, putting her arms out to either side. I'm flying! George grinned. He felt the same. Bet you can't slide down this roof and land on your feet, he said, starting to slide down himself. He went faster than he thought and gasped at the thrill of it all before landing brilliantly and just about keeping his balance. He gave a bow. Bet I can, Clara called, and slid down after him, landing much more neatly. She looked at him, flushed and triumphant. George had never played that much with girls before, but right now he thought that this must be a bit what it was like to have a sister, and it was pretty great. How much longer until the banquet? he asked, and her face changed. I have no idea. I suppose I'd better get ready, though. Do you think you can stay? George shrugged. I have no idea. I think it takes me back once we've solved the problem, usually. I can't do anything about it. Suddenly, they were both thinking about the fact that there were only three more wishing stones left. Let's go this way, George said, turning his face away from her and starting across the rooftops again. They scampered and jumped and balanced until finally George saw a window with a candle shining just below a roof. They'd be able to get into there, no problem. I could get into a lot of trouble, Clara said, peering. I think it's Sir Thomas's rooms. She bit her lip. He won't mind, will he? George knew the priest was possibly the only person he had met who actually cared about Clara here in the past. It's been very fun, but it was a bit stupid, Clara said with a smirk, and George nodded. We'll have to get in without him seeing then. Let's be very quiet. And so they crept as they crossed the final bit of the way to the window, and then George lay on the roof and dangled his legs until they found the edge of the window and he carefully lowered himself down and climbed in. No one was in the room. Come on, Clara, he hissed, and soon he saw her feet appear above him and he helped her into the room. As soon as her feet hit the floor, the door opened and Father Thomas appeared. When he saw them, he looked very, very confused. We just came to check on Sniffy, George said quickly, but now Clara has to get ready for the banquet. Goodbye. They ran out of the door just as Father Thomas said, but how did you... George and Clara thought they had got away, but then George heard footsteps behind him. He glanced back and to his surprise, Father Thomas was running behind and catching up too. Soon he grabbed the back of George's jacket and pulled him to a stop. Clara, not seeming to notice, sped away from them. I've been wanting to see you, George. The priest sounded very serious indeed. Something is happening about Clara. 
I don't understand what Lord Clarthen has planned or how he intends to get her inheritance, but I'm sure that it can't be good. I know, George said grimly, and then explained about the wishing box. There are only three rubies left. That's three wishes and three more times that I can come back here. What if Clara uses all of them before she really needs them? Or what if she doesn't wish when she needs to? The priest frowned, then spoke slowly. I think we must trust to these strange circumstances, George. These things are far beyond our understanding. But you have thus far been a help and a comfort to Clara. We must trust that you will continue to do so, hopefully until this chapter is complete. Yes, George said, not quite understanding what Father Thomas was saying. And I shall pray for you, and for her, and for all these things, the priest ended. Let us go to the banquet. Hopefully Clara will have had sufficient time to change. The priest led George through the halls, giving him tips on how to behave. He said that with Lord Clarthen's visitors here, he could easily slip onto a table and eat. Everyone would just assume he belonged to someone else. They arrived in the hall and swept in. Father Thomas subtly pushed George towards a table and he sat down. Platters of food were being brought out and placed on the tables. Such a feast as he never had seen. The hall was filled with people who must be Lord Clarthen's guests. They all looked red-faced, plump and spoke loudly. Musicians played from the minstrel's gallery above, but the sound was almost drowned out by the crowd of people. George thought suddenly of the villagers he had met that one time with Clara, just across the water. Those villagers who had so little food, who Lord Clarthen was always making to work so hard and taking from. He scowled. He could only bring himself to take some food onto his plate because he knew that Clara and the priest were still sneaking food out of the castle to feed those same villagers. And he had helped with that. A few moments later, he saw Clara enter the hall wearing a fancier dress and walking elegantly as though she hadn't been jumping across rooftops only a little while before. She sat down at the top table and ate delicately. After a little while, Lord Clarthen stood up and raised his goblet, and gradually around them silence spread across the room. Once the last person had stopped speaking, Lord Clarthen began to boom, his voice rolling around the room. Dear friends, thank you for gathering with us tonight. Enjoy the feast and the plenty as we head into the winter months. Let us rejoice in our friendship and trade and partnerships. George thought he could see a greedy glint in Lord Clarthen's eyes as he spoke. There was no way he was feeding these people for any reason other than he was expecting something from them. But I am pleased to have gathered you for another reason too. I have the greatest pleasure tonight of announcing the engagement of my son, Griffin Clarthen, and my dear niece, Clara Greville. 
Please join me in raising a cup to such a wonderful occasion. May our families be knit together forever. George felt as though he had turned to ice, as though he had shattered. He couldn't stop staring at Lord Clarthen, who had drunk his cup to the very bottom with great gusto and who was now receiving congratulations from various people. How could he do this? George's eyes slid to Clara, whose face had gone utterly white. She didn't seem to be able to move either. Finally, he looked at Griffin. He too was being congratulated. He looked flushed, but not surprised. George couldn't tell if he was pleased or not. Clara couldn't marry Griffin, who bullied her and locked her in towers, who pinched her and tried to eat her rabbit, and generally made her life so miserable it absolutely wasn't allowed to happen. Now George's body seemed to move on its own. Gripping the goblet he had sipped from, he moved to his feet, not sure what on earth he was going to do, but desperate to get to Clara somehow. But at that moment, the world began to move and shift in the way it did when he was travelling back to his time until he couldn't see anything. But George was determined not to fall asleep. He shook his head and yelled, but everything went dark. And then George was sitting in the dark on something soft. And then there was light and he was in his room at the cottage and mum had opened the door and was staring at him and the goblet that was still in his hand. He realised that he must have shouted here as well. What's going on, George? Mum said and George gasped. It was time to tell her everything. the end. Thanks for listening. In the next episode, George and Mum make a plan which George goes into the past to act on.